Hey team, welcome back to another episode of the Strength Game Podcast. I'm your host, Nick O'Brien, and this is episode number 35. The Strength Game is a weekly podcast dedicated to discussing all things physical culture with the coaches, athletes, iron enthusiasts, and experts deeply embedded in the strength game on both sides of the profession, both as coaches and as competitive athletes. I want to thank all of you who have liked, shared, subscribed, commented, and rated the show. Your support allows us to bring on expert guests and highlight more individuals in the strength game, just like our guests today. I also want to thank our sponsor, Sturber Strength. Cerberus is an organization that puts the athlete first and is actively working towards providing the best quality gear at an affordable price. Owned and operated by active lifters, Cerberus has quickly evolved into a global brand symbolizing quality and trust. Their ever-growing product range is used by the top athletes around the world at the highest level of competition. And every single Cerberus Strength product has been designed with performance in mind with the highest attention to detail. If you're in the market for the highest quality strength and conditioning gear and equipment, be sure to check out CerberusStrength.com and use promo code STRENGTH underscore GAME to receive an extra 10% off your next order. That's CerberusStrength.com, our promo code STRENGTH underscore GAME. And in this week's episode, I am joined by Coach Michael Silbernagel. Silbernagel is the head strength and conditioning coach at the University of Mary. He overtook the Marauder Strength Department in 2011 and currently oversees the training of all 17 varsity teams. Prior to his arrival at UMary, Coach Schilbernagel spent time as an assistant coach at Colorado State from 2005 to 2010 and started his career at the University of North Dakota as a graduate assistant coach. Coach is a master strength conditioning coach through the Collegiate Strength Conditioning Association, earning the highest honor in the profession in 2017. In addition to having his research published in the journal Strength Conditioning Research, Silbernagel is a sought-after coach who has presented at numerous state and regional clinics. On top of this, he is also the NSCA State Director for North Dakota. An athlete in his own right, Coach Silbernagel is a former collegiate football player at Valley City State University, as well as a competitive powerlifter. He won the 2010 USA Powerlifting Raw National Championship and continues to compete in local and regional events that fundraise for children with disabilities. Like I said, I'm excited to have him on the show today. So with all that said, let's get in the game with Coach Michael Silbernagel. What's going on, everybody? I'm excited today. I am joined by a coach from pretty close to the Great White North, Coach Michael Silbernagel. How's it going, Coach? Uh, it's going well. Thanks for having me. How's everything up in North Dakota? You know what? We got uh, sunny in 65 right now, so, so no complaints. Uh, it's supposed to be in the 70s later this week. Oh, yeah. See, see, summers up there sound a lot more temperate than out here in the desert so i'm jealous of that for sure hey, they, they do have some positives that's for sure no doubt hey so i want to jump right into it um you've got a very lengthy background you've been in the profession for a number of years you're a master strength conditioning coach so there's there's plenty of ways we can kind of gear this conversation but i really want to start from the beginning like what really got you involved in the strength game what kind of sports did you play growing up because I know you've been competing in powerlifting. So how to kind of all start for you 
with the bar? Um, you know, I think everyone has that like one moment that they remember, right? And I'm, I'm a, from a small town in, in North Dakota. Uh, we had nine man football. Uh, I think I had 27 in my class. There was no like, hey, you're switching students every year, you know, to, to know everybody. Like we knew everybody from kindergarten on type of a situation. And um, I was like a sixth grader and you're, you're out in the playground and, and I had a kid telling me that I was too fat to play football. Right. And I, I can tell you the, the individual, it's like, can relive it. Right. And from that moment on, I found the weight room. Right. It was like the, the initial push. Um, now, ironically, in the point in North Dakota, the weight room was above our gym. Uh, it was like a room that had a Nautilus piece of equipment. Of course, we had two bench presses and then a leg press machine. And that was like it. And most of it was homemade. And uh, I think that's what got me going. Then I realized it was something I was pretty good at. Um, being a farm kid, you hear the farm strong statement all the time. Well, you know, before they had GPS and tractors, et cetera, you know, it was carrying buckets of grain to the cattle and it was shoveling and it was uh, throwing blocks of hay and, and things of that nature. So it's one of those things that that got me going from a, a training aspect, um, played a variety of sports growing up, you know, like I said, when you're in a small town, you kind of do it all. The only thing that was off limits was uh, baseball in the summer because I helped down the farm. But other than that, football, wrestling, basketball, track, uh, you name it, is, is kind of the, the athletic side that got things going. That's awesome. What actually, I know, uh, when did you actually start powerlifting then? Because I know you played sports, you played college football uh, pretty close by as well. So what actually kind of got you involved in powerlifting and then kind of how's your role in it now? Because I know you've 2010 National Raw Championship. So I know a little bit you're working towards some local, national and regional meets. So what's what's kind of been your start to that? And then what's your current training kind of look like now? Uh, well, the start was when I became a GA. Uh, my mentor, uh, Jared Nesland. Uh, who at the time was the head guy at, at North Dakota. Um, he's been at a couple stops since, but he was big into getting us to learn by doing, right? So we did an Olympic block and then we did what the athletes were doing, you know, before they did it. And then we got into a powerlifting phase. I think that's when, you know, now I'm dating myself, right? But in 03 is when Westside Barbell kind of really hit and Elite Fitness was kind of a, a – up and coming website. And, and you started learning, you know, Mel Sif and super training. And all of a sudden it was like, well, let's, let's do it. Right. Like let's have some fun with it. And that competitive nature of being an athlete, um, Greg Scanlon, my former boss at Colorado state said, those who compete in athletics have a void to fill when their career. Is done. I, th I still think that's true. It's one of the best things he said to me, but my void filler became powerless. I loved competing and it was against myself. Right. I didn't have to worry about, teammates growing up or not being as dedicated as I was. It became me versus the iron and what can I do uh, in order to improve or to get better. Um, at North Dakota, though, there weren't really many opportunities for meets. Um, so when I got to Colorado State, uh, there was more opportunity down there. And that's when I really started competing. So probably around 2006 was when I really got into the let's do stuff. Um, I guess I was early in the raw craze. Back then, everyone was still big on gear. So it was kind of odd going to these powerlifting meets and you're benching a t-shirt and they got bench shirts on. And 
and squat suits and you're wearing a, a singlet. Um, but it's, it's cool to see how things have evolved. Uh, currently, I've got a couple injuries that I'm working through. I got a couple jacked up hips. Um, so the full meets are kind of on hold, but getting back into some, some local bench only and uh, push pull type stuff is, is kind of on the docket. That's awesome. And I know uh, you've done a few like specifically towards like fundraisers. Um, you care to speak on that as well too? Like, is there something specific that like you, you're really driving your cause or, or maybe some meets that you look forward to putting on in the future for a specific like cause as well? Yeah, I think uh, the, the big one is Relentless Minnesota. Um, that's kind of, if you guys can Google it, look it up, um, it's kind of become like an animal in and of itself. Uh, when we first, when I was first part of it in 2013, it was kind of a small meet, like 40 lifters. Um, and how it works, it was you teamed up with someone from Hope Kids, Minnesota, a young individual who had a disability. Maybe it was even life-threatening. And you got to know that family, know that young individual, and you'd raise some money for them. And at the time, um, which was kind of different, you know, you have a bunch of powerlifters uh, lifting in a church, but it was it was such a cool environment, and it brought such meaning to it, right? So then after that, uh, that's really been one of the only meets I've done because of the atmosphere, because of the impact that you can have. Uh, Scott Nutter is the the one who puts it on. Uh, in Minnesota and it's grown now to uh, Detroit. And I even think Nashville has one or they were trying to before COVID hit uh, to get these different meets going. But now it's taken on a whole different ball game. I think there's a hundred lifters competing. Wow, it's wow. now at a, a different venue, but it still has that same feel and vibe. I think the coolest thing was benching over 500 pounds to Taylor Swift's shake it off and having a bunch of, you know, little kids literally, you know, eight feet away from you, cheering you on uh, while you were doing it. So right now, that's kind of the, the only meets I want to take part in are, are those that kind of give back to those that, that maybe can't do what we're able to do on a daily basis. That's that's really cool. I like hearing about that stuff because that, I mean, that, it's a great cause to give back. And like you said, the atmosphere is probably very different than probably what raw nationals looks like, or even like when West side was kicking off, that's definitely different than any geared powerlifting meet you're going to go to. And, or some of the places where you get to pick your own music to come out and people are coming out to Slipknot and, <laughs> and light shows and everything. But that, that's awesome to be able to give back to people and, and maybe grow some powerlifters in the future or like really, really help out a family that's in some need and, and need some support. So that's, that's great to hear coach. I like what you said too, like talking about like filling that void after college athletics. I think that's one thing, unfortunately we kind of missed the boat on and I don't know what really the solution is to it. Um, I know in the past we've done things like try to put together programs or I've let my athletes take their programs with them. Like obviously they, they know we're always in their corner and they can, calling us whenever they need they just have big life things kind of going in the future but some of them just don't want to compete after or find something to do and try to stay active have you found a way to kind of bridge the gap between leaving college athletics and maybe like at least trying to keep those healthy lifestyles I know your department is really active on social media so it's it's a public platform that like graduating athletes can still look at 
but have you noticed anything or kind of started to implement anything that might be helpful as they transition out of college? I think the number one, it, it might be cliche, but conversations, right? Like just being able to sit down and go, Hey, FYI, next time you compete or you watch competition, you're going to feel weird. Right. To me, I, I last played college football in 01. I, you get to the fall and you smell a fall air, right? There, there's something about it that if you were to say like, Hey, I will give you a football helmet right now and you get to play one game. I'm like, where do I have to sign? Right. And whether that's coming to a football stadium and just smelling everything or, you know, there's something about a baseball game, right? Like it's got its own smell to a baseball game or going to a basketball arena and you hear things, it's getting them to understand that there's going to be a different feeling when that time comes and how they handle that is, is something they have to be aware of. Um, like you mentioned, we do try to put a lot of stuff out on our social media that's just educational in general, right? Whether that's about habit forming or nutrition or sports psychology or even reading a book, right? Just trying to get them to understand some things. But at the same time, understand that it's an, each individual has their own process to go through. So there's no checklist. I can't sit here, Nick, and go, hey, you just do this and then this and then this and then this, and then you're going to be happy. Right? The, the, the void's going to be filled or you're going to be in this wonderful place. I think it's some people it's five years down the road, they reach out and they're like, coach, I don't know what to do. Like I've let myself go or I walked into the gym for the first time and I'm, I'm blank. Right. And for others, it's the day after they're done competing, they're in your office going, Hey, so what's next? Like, how do we get this thing rolling? And I think just being there for each individual differently uh, is huge. No, that's a great point. I, I I'm witnessing it right now. Cause we just wrapped up the, school year and we've got a few teams kind of still trickled around. I'm sure you're in the same boat as well. I know rules are a little bit different for D2, D3, NIIA schools, which I want to get into a little bit later, but I mean, that, that you hit it on the head right there. I've got one athlete that is so competitive. She's been in almost every single day and she's actually one of the ones I'm pushing towards like going to like all the emails we always get about USA track and field, all the USA, like bobsled, all the winter sports, all the ones that need kind of a void to fill because we just don't fund those sports very well out here. Like that's one she's like really pushing towards now, which is cool. But then I've got athletes that were like, see ya right away. And you never know, maybe it will be a month. It'll be 10 years down the line or something where they're going to ask to come back for help. But trying to find a different approach for each person and, and in an individual one and just kind of have resources at their disposal. So we're not just a four year program and done. And we just cut the ties. That's, that's the last thing I want to see where all we're doing is trying to dig in athletes pockets when they're gone, rather than provide them more than just the college experience, provide them tools for life and that they feel welcome to come back or ask for help whenever they need it. So kind of touching on like your style training, like why did, why do you continue to train? I, I know you said you were harping on a few injuries right now and, and you kind of spoke on like what, what your competitive side looks like working with these different organizations to actually compete for like an actual fundraiser. Why for you do you continue to stay active and train? I know you'd strap on the helmet if you got the chance, but like how has training kind of evolved over your career and why do you think it's important not only for you to train, but 
maybe for your athletes and your young coaches to see you train as well? I think at the beginning, right, we were our own guinea pigs. I said at the beginning when you're when you're reading about different things, and I'm it, it's funny because I've got a powerlifting background, but some of the first presentations I've ever given were like on using bands for warm-ups, right? Like it's crazy. Like everyone looked at me at 270 pound dude at the time. I've, I've dropped a little bit since then, but and here I am, like, here's how you do shoulder distractions and, and all this stuff. But you learn through doing. Like there's there's time under the bar to, to steal that Dave Tate quote, right? Under the bar training. You learn as a young coach by training. You learn by doing things that end up being successful for yourself and failures for yourself. Right. There's times where I'm like, oh, this would be great for my athletes. And I start doing it. I'm like, not a chance. If I can't figure this out, there's no way they can figure it out. Or this is something that is really good. Right. I found a weak point in myself. So now for this individual who's battling that weak point, this would be something that would be beneficial to them. Um, how it's evolved is it used to all be about me. Um, it, that might sound awful, but that's what it was, right? When I won nationals, I've told this story before. It's my wife was like, Hey, let's go for a walk. And I had a two-year-old son at the time. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know about a walk, right? Like I got a big leg day tomorrow. Like, how about we drive over there? You know, um, everything was geared around what my performance could be, where now it's about a, I want to be there for my kids as I get older. I want to show them a good lifestyle. I need to be able to demo everything that I do for my student athletes. I don't have to be the best at it, but I need to be able to demo it. If I can't demo a 5-10-5, we got trouble, right? Even with bad hips, I can demo a 5-10-5. It might not be the fastest, like, right? Like I'm not running NFL times, but I can demo it. I should be able to demo a vertical jump. I should be able to demo a broad jump and talk an athlete through it. Cause not everybody learns by hearing what you have to say. There needs to be a visual component, right? Same thing, power clean. Even though I'm a, a power lifter, I can clean and I can snatch, right? It doesn't have to be the world record in order to demo these things. But I think that's a, a huge component. And then COVID threw a whole new kink into things, right? So I'm told you can't come out to the university and that's where I always trained. And now I'm sitting at home and I have a TRX and I have a couple bands and you got to be creative, right? Time under tension, training, et cetera. And when I first got hurt, uh, I got torn labrums in each hip. Um, I was told, you know, hey, don't don't squat and don't do this. And I listened. Well, then all of a sudden I got knee pain. And all of a sudden other things were issues. This is my diet. My orthopedic isn't going to like me saying this, but I've gotten back to training hard. And guess what? Pain went away. Right now I modify and, and I'm doing higher box squats and whatever else. And, and I'm wearing briefs to save my hips. Right. But I've gotten back to where I'm training again and I'm feeling good. And, and now you're, you're having fun in the garage and all of a sudden my kids want to train and they're doing body weight versions and things like that. But it's, uh, I don't know. It's a stress relief, right? Like to sound cliche as everyone else, it's a way to, uh, release the demons, so to speak, and have a little bit of me time. At the same time, I've yet to find someone who doesn't like being strong. Okay, like you talk to a strong person, male, female, it doesn't matter. They like being strong. There's a good feeling about being able to do things that others can't. And that might sound egotistical, but it's a way to, you know, put yourself on a, know that you're doing things the right way. 
right? It, it, even if it's in your mind, it's a vice. There's a lot of worse vices to have than grabbing a bar uh, and getting after it, in my opinion. Yeah, no doubt. That That's cool to hear, though, the evolution of everything and see how, like you said, your training was very, like, very, like, blinders on. This is This is exactly what I want to do. It's hard as a coach, too, or, like, having a family as well to – find the balance between the two and prioritize and not, not completely take away from the other ones and like your other responsibilities too, but you're so competitive and centrally focused on an objective that sometimes the other things kind of just have to sit on the back burner and to now to see it shift and still find ways to stay active and still kind of bounce around with new ideas. Like you said, COVID throwing a wrench and everything finding new ways to train. It's definitely more tools in tool belt for you as an athlete yourself, but also for things that now you can still relate to your athletes because we've got more access to equipment and a gym and, and have a lot more experience and knowledge than our athletes do. And if we're kind of having trouble trying to figure out how to implement things or even deal with the stress of being stuck at the house, trying to find ways to train. I mean, I did pull-ups on, my apartment stairs. I was like, I didn't even think that was possible, but the athletes are definitely suffering at, at that point in time. So it's cool to kind of go through it together and, and be a part of their experience and, and be a little bit more relatable with what's going on. So uh, that's a cool thing to kind of hear from you. Um, you touched on it a little bit when you started like Colorado state and then North Dakota, and you basically it was trial by fire where you were learning how to train, you were doing the athlete programs ahead of time. Um, I've done it in a bunch of different ways with our interns. And when I was an intern myself, how do you kind of go about approaching it with your grad students and like their training? Do you kind of allow them to do their own type of training? If say they're competitive in a strength sport, are they doing a specific program? Are they doing a football's program? How do you kind of approach encouraging that they train as coaches when they first get here so uh in the summertime we start in june uh with the new gas uh they're going to go through our redshirt program whether they want to or not because they just they need to understand what it's like to suck at something before they even start coaching and and i say that not because they're weak or because they're out of shape by taking away their ability to have any autonomy over the program, they get to feel what our student athletes go through right away, right? Because it's, it's not just physiological, it's a psychological thing. To come in in high school, you're the greatest, or as a GA, you think you have it all figured out. I was there too. I thought I had it all figured out as well. And then all of a sudden, you do a program that you know nothing about. It might be a different split than you're used to. You might have different terminology or different rep schemes, and you're outside of your comfort zone. You as a GA have to learn that first, because when you first have an athlete in the fall, that is exactly how they're going to feel with your program. Whether you're dealing with a returning student that is now dealing with you, who's got a little bit different personality or whatever else, or it's a freshman coming from high school, you need to understand that aspect of things. Now, after that, hey, I don't care what you do, but train. Right. So after that 12 week block, let's talk. Let's see. What do you want to do? Let's write your goals down. And I'm big on learning methods, not necessarily systems. Like I don't want to copy and paste coach. And I'm, if that bothers people out there, that they can have that issue with themselves. But 
I want you to know linear periodization. I want you to know undulating and block and conjugate, and then decide how do you use those and what's the right time to use those? Because they'll all work if you know what you're trying to accomplish, right? And then, okay, are you a velocity-based training person? Are you a powerlifting background where you're talking more conjugate or concurrent, right? Where you want to look at all these things at the same time. Are you Olympic-based? Okay. Are you ground-based or are you machine? No, we don't have much for machines. So if you're machine-based, this is not the place for you. But what kind of system do you want to, and method, I should say, and principle, do you want to have to gain knowledge of? And I want to challenge my young coaches to, to read and to try as many different of those as possible, right, to know how you can pick and choose and how, to, how does it fit into what we have. Right? And when I say we, I mean the university, I mean their sport that they're going to be working with. Because um, it's, I'm sorry, it's not just cut and paste. What works at one university, and I, I came from Colorado State, we just won a track uh, championship, right, during my time there, a volleyball championship. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've got the golden program. Yeah, that was a lie. You come here and you try to implement the same program, and it's like you don't even know how to program anymore. It's like this thing works so well. How does it suck here? Well, you got to talk with the coaches and you got to talk with those athletes. So for me, our young staff have to get themselves immersed into that side of things. I like that. Like the actual wording of get immersed in it too. That's, I think that's the big thing because honestly, they're coming at the same time your athletes are coming in. So if they don't really have a leg up on the program and don't understand, and they're going to come in and they're, you're going to have seniors maybe redshirt guys that have been in the program three plus years that know a lot more about what's going on than they do. So if they don't know the program better than the athletes, then they're going to be in trouble. And you, you lost that trust. You lost the rapport. Like you're just kind of a floating body there. You're, you're a, a spotter, a loader, if that, at that point. So. And, and my GAs, I, I treat them as full-time coaches, right? We're a small staff and, I tell them when they come here, right? Like, yes, you chose here, but you also chose me to mentor you. Like, I now have a job. You saying you want to be a GA here, I have a job to make you better than you currently are, right? So it's your job to help our student athletes. It's my job to help you. And in that process, there's going to be frustrations on all sides. But it's not, I don't have a staff big enough to where you can spot, right? And that's all you're going to do. Like, you've got to be able to coach. Right. And those are the things I think that they have to also understand because social media, the great thing about social media is everything there. Right. Like I was joking. I talked with Dave Tate this spring and I was like, man, I remember when elite fitness systems was a, a blank, like word document with blue hyperlinks. Right. And now everything's on social media. You get so much so fast. You're not watching a VHS tape and trying to check the tracking. So Louis Simmons looks normal. Right. You, there's no lines across the screen. But the problem with it is now anybody can say anything and it can become paralysis by analysis. Like what do you choose to listen to, to not listen to? And sometimes we get ahead of the, our head of ourselves where we want to put stuff on social media rather than immerse ourselves in learning what came before us. Right. And that to me is a big thing that I try to hit home with my staff. Yeah. And I think you can kind of avoid that a lot of times when those coaches are not trying to outwardly look at the next best thing or, or reading like reading material that's beyond like their scope of practice right now. 
Like they're for the most part, they maybe they've done an internship or two, but they're coming in as grad students. They're doing school at the same time. They're being mentored yet by you. They're going through your redshirt program and everything. So there's already a lot thrown on their plate. And then they have to train and kind of build a rapport with all the athletes. The last thing you want to be doing is, is reading super training or like going combing through like West side methods that are way beyond what the type of athlete you're going to be working with or your scope of practice, because you just need to learn the kids' names. You need to learn what, what's next exercise in the program, what the flow of the room is and social media. Yeah. It's sexy. And there's all these different things floating around and you can really get enamored in all of it. But most of those things, like you said, coming from Colorado state over to you and Mary, you can't just cut cut and paste all these things. It's not going to happen. So you taking an excerpt out of one of those books is not going to be a program that you can utilize one, you can't coach it. And two, you probably can't coach it with the athletes you're using right now. So that's a good point. I like, I like what you talk about with actually making them kind of indoctrinate into the program. Cause a lot of times when GAs or interns come in, they already have their own tendencies and bias. And I know we've both probably, when we were younger, we're like, we know everything. And at this point in time, like we know nothing. That's what it feels like, at least for me. So if I, no one gave me a program in the beginning or I didn't follow one of the athletes ones, I would probably stick to like what I'm good at. That's what our tendencies end up being. And that's what our programs end up being. So I, I don't think people understand like when you're at a D2, a D3, NIA school, small school, like you have to coach. And that was the whole reason why I stayed at like my alma mater and was like, I'm going to go to grad school and be D3. I was like, I get to work with four of the best teams in the country or I can go work nothing against where I interned at another school, but, or I can go work with the sailing team and assist with some others. It's like, I'd rather be in charge of four teams and get to work with other GAs and actually get my hands dirty as much as possible. So I know, I know coming from a program like Colorado state over to you, Mary, it's very different. Um, I wanted to really get in on how you actually started it from scratch because what it's been over a little over 10 years now since you actually started the program. I know you're from North Dakota, but what drew you initially initially to like actually take over, undertake this project and kind of start your own thing? Because like you said, you were coming from a very successful program at Colorado state. Um, I think, for starters, full disparency, my mom had cancer. So uh, the opportunity to come home was big uh, in that aspect. Uh, but at the same time, as an assistant, like I was an assistant there for six years at Colorado State, you're looking for the next step, right? And I played against you, Mary, in college. They were NAI at the time. Now we're Division Two, uh, and they were when I got here. But it was one of those things that, like, man, you have a chance to start something. There's, there's only one chance to be the first. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but that, that, that competitive nature that I talked about in powerlifting kind of took over, right? So when someone tells you you can't do something or maybe it won't be able to be done, I have the personality to go, you want to bet? 
right? Like I'm going to prove it otherwise. And uh, I was very fortunate because the athletic director here was actually the AD when I was a GA uh, at North Dakota. And he was, Roger Thomas was his name and very big into developing student athletes uh, physically and otherwise. And he reached out and allowed me to kind of, to take that on. And then it became, um, you see a whiteboard behind me, but I used to have like a list of a wish list, right? And every time I got something, I'd wipe something off and then I'd add something else. So it always looked like the list was full. And uh, working with all the sports teams when I got here, actually I worked more hours than I did when I was at Colorado State to start. But I got the buy-in from all the sport coaches to where when they asked, hey, what do you want? You know, and they instantly went to stuff, right? I went to people. How about, you know, talk to the AD and, and administration about getting a GA, right? Talk about adding staff. Talk about uh, building this thing bigger. Um, and I got the support from them, and that's how the, the department has grown. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do it without the different support systems along the way, right, from the president of the university all the way uh, down to the custodial staff and what they've helped us do here. Um, not sure if that scratches the surface or no, that gives you the general overline of it. No, that's a great overline because it's it's always interesting. It's cool to hear, like – I think we're going to get to the point in a while there's there's pretty much not going to be too many first jobs for anybody. It's you're going to step into an established program. So it's a little bit different dynamic where you want to implement your own thing without overstepping the coach before you and still kind of take on the culture of the department of the university of like the local populace, all those things. Um, You kind of got to put your stamp on it yourself. Go ahead. It was, I, I didn't think I'd be here for 10 years, right? Like my goal is to build the resume and bounce up, right? Like, okay, I was a head assistant at Colorado State. Now we'll get some head experience and show that I can build a program and then I'm going to leave. Now it's gotten to where I want to see who I can put out into the field, right? I want to see, like, I've been fortunate. We've uh, Kylie Caters, who's down at North Florida, won the Lance Vermeule Award at the CSCCA National Convention in 2019. Aaron Jung, my first ever GA at Morningside, he just won the Young Achievement Award uh, through Gatorade at the CSCCA, right? Like seeing all my other, and I can list a bunch of them. Phil being a former intern, you know, now uh, overseas working with the military. Like that to me is now the fun part, right? Like how many athletes can go into our profession? I think I'm at like 10 or 12 just at Mary that have chosen to become strength coaches. Like that is now the cool part, right? And it's something bigger than myself. It's whether I leave you marry strength, the Marauder strength is always going to be here, right? So how do we get the student athletes and the people that were in the program to be even better uh, than myself is now like the next challenge. Like I'm not currently looking for the next logo, right? Now, if that happens, it happens, but it's not like I'm constantly on NCAA, like, ooh, what's open? What's open? What's open? Um, where earlier in my career, I'd, I'd admit to that. Like, you were looking for the next stepping stone in that process. Yeah. No, that's that's cool to hear. That's uh, It's definitely something that I haven't got to actually be a part of yet. I think I'm still kind of growing in my career and doing what you were doing initially, trying to take the next step forward until 
I mean, you never really know which place is going to be something where you're really rooted in. I didn't really anticipate that I was going to be at my current stop, like at Fresno for going on five years now. No one really knows. And like, this is honest. This has been the longest I've ever been in a place like school, school wise, or just in my own personal life, just being in my dad's in the military. So we traveled around all the time. This is the longest I've ever sat in the same like house or apartment. So it's kind of interesting to see it. And I, it makes me more and more want to kind of get to a position where you are, where I can, I can sit in place. I can really set my roots in and develop coaches as they come in and out. And it's cool to see that because now you become a hotspot for places. You become a hotspot for coaches that want to come in and learn under your toolage and they want to actually go through the UMary program because you've put out so many feelers, you put out so many like high quality coaches and athletes and, and products essentially that now you don't have to worry about searching. People come to you. I hope that's the case at least. Well, that that's the goal, right? Um, and I think that's the, the fun part about doing stuff like this. Like when you reached out to me, it was a no brainer. It, it's a way to, once again, reach someone else. Maybe there's someone that's going to watch this or listen to it. That's like, Hey, interested in this profession. I've never heard of that place. And then they start researching us and who knows when I have a GA spot open next spring, you know, maybe we get one or two applicants because of it. So branching out, like you told me I'd do a podcast five years ago, I probably would have laughed at you, right? Like, that's not what I do, right? Like, I'm a coach. And I, that's same thing with our social media. If you'd have said, we're going to branch out and do social media, I'd have been like, you're kind of crazy, but that's where this thing's going. And that's how you continue to build the, the brand for people to take part of and, and to get to know about you. For sure. Yeah. I fought it for a while, but, uh, it didn't seem like it was going away. So if you're, you're not going to beat them, you better join them and, and find a way. And, and I think I've heard you speak on it too. Like that's, you have to use social media, you have to use it and you don't have to be happy about it or you can outsource it to maybe a, a younger coach or someone that really finds a passion in it. But if that's where your athletes are at, you have to actually put information there. Like it's, it's very different for me to go in before a lift and kind of preach to them about nutrition rather than I know five seconds after the lift, their face is going to be in a phone and they can read about exactly what I was going to talk about and they can hit the like button and feel happy about it. Like if that gets the point across and they learn some things from that and they build better habits, then unfortunately that's what you got to use Unfortunately or good. That's, that's the platform you should be using. Yeah. You got to find a way to connect in, to me, at least this way. Also, I cannot have someone say, well, you didn't try. Right. Cause as you know, not everyone's going to always see your story. They're not always going to see the post, but at least I can say the information's there if you want it. Right. right? And we're going to put that out for you to try to best educate as possible. Yeah, that's true. And you had, that was good probably for COVID. You guys were already prepared ahead of time. You had kind of that database of exercises, you had information easily accessible. And I'm sure that made the transition a little bit more smooth, hopefully. I was I was smiling because I had a YouTube page from 2011, and we already had like 400 exercises uploaded. We just had to, you know, do some new ones with bands and body weight and things like that. But like that was like I felt like so smart at that point in time. So I was like, yes, like I'm not scrambling to try to put all this stuff together. So there there was a definite 
bonus to it. Yeah, everybody else was scrambling for sure. <laughs> hey, so with starting the program and um, also just kind of for coaches stepping into a like director or a head role themselves, like what were some of the biggest lessons kind of you learned or maybe obstacles you had in the way that you really kind of maybe either weren't prepared for or didn't know were going to be under like fall under your responsibilities and what kind of advice would you give to a head coach kind of taking on their first head role or starting a new program? Uh, yeah, that's, there's a lot of them. Uh, we could probably do a podcast just on that, but we'll, we'll start with some big ones to me. It doesn't matter how many questions you ask, there's going to be something you forget in the interview process. Um, and the example for me was I didn't ask if this was an athlete only facility because to me, it would only make sense that it is. Um, and I got here in like the second week, there's individual. I went to use the restroom and come back. There's an individual doing dumbbell curls because that's, you know, why wouldn't you? But a cutoff on, and it's a different university shirt and, and it's actually in our conference even. And I introduced myself. I'm like, hey, um, who are you? You know, and oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a student here and this and this. Okay. I said, hey, we've got a team coming in about 15 minutes. Um, go ahead and finish what you're doing. That's cool. Uh, next time, though, if you could just not wear a cutoff and not wear that apparel because we've got some rules. And, and I came at the semester time. So this individual had been doing whatever he wanted to in the fall, right? And now here's this big, short, stocky, bald guy with all these rules. And uh, so he instantly got upset and was like, so you're telling me I have to wear you Mary stuff to train here and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no. I'm not in my fight or flight nature kicked in. Right. And I was like, you can go put a picture of me on your shirt, put bleep this guy on it. And you can wear that in here, but you just can't wear that university shirt here. Well, uh, I got talked to, uh, after that one. Um, cause that goes up the train pretty quick. Right. And it, it was a good learning lesson. So I guess my advice to a, a, someone stepping into a role, don't let your emotions get the best of you understand that there's going to be, things that you should have known that you're going to imply, like in, you're, you're going to think yourself that were implied that didn't actually get answered and just get a higher level of communication, right? Like I really should have just let the kid do his thing, talk to my administration, gotten a clear cut path on how they wanted it to handle and then approach it accordingly, right? But instead I went old school strength coach mode Right. And okay, you're going to bark at me. I'm going to bark at you type scenario. And then it didn't work out well. Understand what you're going to have from a support system standpoint. And I'm not just talking budgets and I'm not talking, you know, janitor staff or custodial staff or help. I'm talking who do you have that will help mentor you? Right. Do you have someone that you can go to? I was fortunate it wasn't like written in stone, but I had a couple of coaches that had been here for a long time and were very successful. Mike Thorson, the track coach, uh, who's now retired, uh, helped me more than he realized. And Myron Scholes, the football coach at the time, helped me more than he realized than our AD, right? You just go in, you just, it was like a bench session, but they had feedback that helped me through some things, even though they weren't strength coaches. Um, and I think that was something I never would have thought of prior to taking the head role. And then understand all the things that you thought when you were in the assistant chair were only partially true. Because the lens, it's like someone hands you a different set of glasses when you get into the head person chair. 
and you put them on and you see things completely differently. And you're like, that's why that person said that before or did that before. And I, I know I said, I'd never do this or say that, but uh, yeah, I just said it and did it because it was a necessity based on the situation I'm in. So I don't know if that makes any sense at all, Nick, or if I just rambled, but those are the things to me that really stick out. No, they all make sense. I, I wrote down all of them, honestly, because that's, I mean, you're in a position, you're in a role that like I hope to be in one day. So there's a lot of things you could take away from that. Um, I mean, I didn't think about that too, like having mentors, like it kind of, it's again, you assume it, you don't really know like what is actually applied and like what is actually the situation you're going to step into. And that's another good advice too. Like all the questions you're, you're not going to have enough time in the world or think about every single thing you need to ask. You could sit and spend hours trying to figure out the best questions to ask a place and miss like some of the biggest things. And that like to understand like exactly like what to have a mentor and as a head coach, like those are things you forget about. You're the only head coach there. You, you get to like maybe a power five school and you have a head for basketball, a head for football, a head of Olympic. But honestly, I don't know how much time they ever have available to actually sit down and meet with each other. They might be able to do it sporadically, but for most places you're going to be one of one. So you better look for people outside of your department to actually lean on, to talk with and actually bounce ideas off of. Otherwise you're going to be a head coach with no growth opportunity and really just kind of dictating down to your like suit, like your undergrad or your uh, assistants and everything too. And, and I hope just because you get that head role, not you, but anybody listening, right you should still be striving to be better. And there's not a day that should go by that you're not going, man, it, did I do enough to keep my job today? And not from a time standpoint, but from a, it, did, did I live up to the description of my position and then try to better it? Right, because too often we want to complain about what we don't have rather than am I doing the things that I can do while I am here? Right? Am, I, am I doing the things to better the department or better myself while I'm here? Because if I better myself, I better the department. Right? So can we continue to have that thought process? Because I think coming up the chain, it's easy to be driven. Right? You go from intern to GA, right? Like, yes. And then you see the rungs you still got to climb. Then from GA to the bottom assistant, or maybe it's even a professional intern. And then as you climb it, like you still stay hungry, but sometimes I think you get into that head roll and it's easy to go up here. Like I sacrificed or did all those things. Don't allow yourself. You can, you can do it for a short period of time, right? Like maybe every day, give yourself five to 10 minutes to sit back and put your feet up and go, I've got the, the name on the door, but at the same time, every other second should be, I have my name on the door and there's a standard that has to be uh, lived up to to keep it there. Right. Right. Yeah, you don't want to get in the habit of uh, thinking that, all right, I made it, so everything's fine. Because now all the responsibility, all the anything that happens is under your watch. So you're going to be held responsible no matter what. So it's actually yep. more pressure, and then you should be striving to do even better. And because honestly, now you're in a position as a head coach, as a director, that 
your assistants, your grad, your graduate assistants, your interns, all the athletes, like anything that happens in that facility is up to you. Like all the progress, those, those coaches underneath you, like their ability is going to be either stagnant or benefited from your tutelage and your mentorship too. So it's a lot more that you kind of need to put on your plate, but at the same time, that's why you should be striving to continue to improve, give them the best product that you can do. That's a, Talking about uh, shared facilities and things like that, um, I think most like bigger universities, division. I don't know if there's any Division One universities that really are stuck in that boat. But can you talk about a few more of like maybe some of the challenges smaller schools or maybe that you've kind of been presented? Because um, that's that's one I've heard many times. Shared facilities. Oh, this is also a classroom at these certain times of the day, and then like. D3, I know D2 as well in certain aspects of the time period, everything's voluntary. So you really have to have a culture set in place, standards and high expectations. Otherwise, you're going to be one of the schools that no one really knows about because it's just status quo. Do what you can only when you're told to do it. So are there any other like challenges specifically that you've seen at a non-Division One school that maybe present a challenge yeah, I think the the easy ones, right, budgets, right, and find out what you can do to help it. Like the biggest thing that helped me here was if you can find a way to help raise money, usually the administration is more supportive of you to give you something down the road, right? Like we worked camps for coaches. Instead of getting paid, I asked for money for the department, right? So finding those things to be creative, I've talked about it a lot in different podcasts, but you've got to create something that the student athletes want to be a part of. There has to be something, uh, like I said, we do shirts and hats and apparel, right? Marauder strength has to be, and Newberry strength has to be something that they want to wear outside of here. Cause it should be the unifying factor of the entire athletic department, especially in a smaller school, because that's the only common place everyone has. They all have different coaches. They all have different sport demands. They all have, you know, maybe different things that they get, like locker rooms might look different or whatever else, travel. But the one thing they should all get the same is the care and the the demand of excellence from the strength conditioning department, in my opinion. They all know that they it, there's days that suck together, right? And that wearing that logo or, or whatever shows a commonality of drive and commitment that others wouldn't understand. Okay, so when you talk about struggles, yeah, there's facility issues in terms of space and in terms of time. Communication will solve almost every struggle you have. Communicate and educate, and that's all you can do, right? You're going to have coaches, you work long enough, you're going to have coaches that are going to tell you you're doing everything wrong. You're going to have coaches you're telling you you're doing everything right, student athletes, etc. You've got to be able to explain what you're doing in a way that's not combative right off the bat. You have to be able to... Uh, digest and uh, regurgitate information that's going to help everybody move forward because we're all in this together. I've yet to see a coach. I don't care if it's a strength coach or sport coach. It's like, I hope we suck this year. Right? Like, or man, I wish our injury rate was really high. You know, if you could make them slow and out of shape, that would be fantastic. Like I'm being facetious and over the top, right? Like no one does that. So it's just getting everybody to understand that we're all on the same page. 
So if we have a facility issue, what can we do to remedy it? Right? Okay, today I'm taking this team down to the basketball court. We're going to use med balls and bands, and we're going to use the methodology of training of time under tension, or it's a repetition or force uh, development, right? Because those are the three real ways, because we can't do maximal strength that way. But those are the ways that I can still get something done to get two coaches in the facility at the same time. Or maybe we're going to split the room and you guys are going to warm up first and then come up later. And we're going to have a, with track and field, we do a rotating schedule where we start every 20 minutes. And then there's, they come in, they do movement prep and they go to the platforms for Olympics. Then they do, you know, their upper or lower body movement and then agilities and, and they roll through it in a 20 minute wave because that best fits track and field where other sports are on the hour, every hour type of scenario. Maybe you have to have multiple teams in there at one time, right? I have three racks for team one and I have four racks for team two, but that's where our system that we utilize allows us the freedom to have more than one team in here and not have it to be a cluster because my staff has to know that it's all about the student athlete as well. Right? So if they're like, well, I want to do box jumps. Well, great. We have six of them and they're currently in this location, not easily used. Like we've got to find a way to, Make it about them, once again, not about you, right? And creating that culture to when there are dead times in, in Division two or Division three, that the student athletes become you. Like if you, I can't remember who said it, it was not me, but if you're actually a good coach, you should be replaceable by your upperclassmen because you have taught them the tools to read a sheet and conduct the program the way it needs to be conducted without you in the room. They might not be able to design it. They might not be able to program it, right? But if they grab the program, they should be able to replace you and go, here's how this needs to be ran and here's how we can accomplish it without you here. That should be the, the next step going into those phases. Oh, yeah. That should definitely be the goal. I mean, I I think I coach so – I really – I don't – I really like spring sports just for the sole fact that I get the whole entire fall – to work with them and develop them. So then, especially for the freshmen, it's it's the hardest thing ever. I can only imagine with football and then all the fall sports where it's trial by fire. It's six weeks of that's all you get to do. So like you have to put the product on the field. You're focusing on the upperclassmen. Sometimes the underclassmen just don't get as much and they're just, hey, hold on to the guy in front of you. Like we're going as fast as possible because the season starts pretty soon. I like the spring sports because in the fall you get to sit there and put everything into place. This is how I want it. This is how it should be done. And it took a while, but like going into year five here, like I can sit back in season with baseball. And like, if I can lean against the wall and like have my arms crossed, then I don't, I'm, I'm happy. You guys are doing everything you need to. Those guys are taking the younger ones under their wing they know what's expected of them, the attitude, the efforts there. Everything's working fine. They know how to read the card. Like the only questions I get are like individual ones about scheduling or whatever else is going on. Like that's that's the ultimate goal where you can walk into a room and just kind of control the temperature as needed. But it's their team and they're going to be the ones on the field. So the less I have to actually dictate things and control that, then the better by far 100 and they have to learn like you just said right like you're five going to five it takes time for them to learn it 
right? Like that going back to one of the questions you asked earlier, like they don't know what they don't know. So when you come in thinking this is how you're going to run an apartment, I had student athletes didn't know how to read a sheet, right? So it takes time to develop what you just mentioned to where you can take a step back. I think coaches need to understand that as well. Right. Yeah. I had, I was in the same boat. I had athletes that never had like training cards. They were, they were used to whiteboards. So they're like, they had paper in front of them. They didn't know what to do at all. It was definitely an eye opener for sure. Hey, but I wanted to get back a little bit too, towards like the mentorship side. We talked about a little bit. Um, you did, you mentioned it before you guys are a small staff. I think pretty much most D2, D3 programs are a small staff where sometimes there's only a director and just GAs. I know you guys, your staff has grown in the last 10 years and you have, a, I think you have one full-time assistant and two graduate assistants, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so what are kind of some of the priorities for these young coaches to actually get them off the ground running as quick as possible? Because I don't know how you do it, but I know when I was a, a GA, as soon as I got there, I had four teams. I mean, I was an alumni, so I already had those teams under my control. But the guys I was working with, it's one director, that's it. And he also runs facilities and teaches classes and is on the other side of campus. And then it's three GAs trying to divvy up the team. So how do you kind of get those ones either like vetted so you know that they're going to survive? Because if you lose a GA in the first month, that's more on your guys' plate. How do you kind of vet them and how do you get them indoctrined as quick as possible so that they can take charge of a team and over time you have to watch them less and less? Um, well, I'll start with the, it happens. Like you're going to lose people. Uh, and going back to like, you know, Jocko talks in his books, right? Like sometimes it's probably a good thing. They're, they're great individuals that are no longer here, but it just wasn't the right fit or they didn't know what they were getting into. So you have to understand when to, to kind of make that decision as well. And that's hard when you're, like you said, you know that if you're down a person, it can really mess up the flow for everybody. Um, what we do when we first get here in, in the summer months is they're just helping out with our sports. So the teams that we can, you know, take through programs, they're assisting with us. Then we have some free time to talk about what you marry strength is and the freedom within our structure. They can do whatever they want as long as it fits within the structure that we're trying to accomplish, right? We have different formats for what a total body day should look like, a lower body or an upper body. So that way the room has better flow. If one coach has to coach a couple teams due to, like I mentioned earlier, class issues or we're sharing the facility, they can do it in a way that doesn't disrupt the room. Um, and then, you know, it's challenging them to be okay with failure. And I think that's becoming harder and harder because like, that's the F word that you don't say. You can say the four letter F word and people are okay with it. You say failure and everyone wants to lose their mind now. And getting them to understand that failure is part of your growth process. And, but because of that, I'm not going to drop my standard. Right. So in the summer, they might not realize it. I'm just going to hand them the clipboard and say, you're running the warm up today. And they look at you and I'm like, you've been here for four weeks. Like you should be able to run this warm up. And I'll sit back and I'll give coaching cues. And the student athletes we have here in the summer are awesome. 
and they're going to do it right no matter if the individual screws up. Okay, so it's kind of a fail-safe statement, but it's a great learning tool to go, these are the good ones. Like, these are the ones who are voluntarily here this summer that you're not going to have issues with. Wait till you have half the room as freshmen who don't know what they're doing. So you've got to be on your toes more because sometimes they look at you as a, a head coach who's got experience or even the full-time coach, and they think that they can do it as easily as you do. They don't see all the work that goes into orchestrating it. So sometimes I'll purposely set them up to fail. Um, once again, not in ways that could do any harm or they can, you know, they're not major things to get them to show how they can overcome it. Um, but two, the first year they're a GA and they're spending a lot of time running things by me. Right. So two weeks prior to any program being put into uh, use, they have to explain it to them. Because if you can't explain it to me, there's no way you can explain it to a sport coach. And there's no way you can explain it to a student athlete. And that will kill your buy-in from those individuals. And also you won't know how to modify something if an injury comes up or if you have to, like I said, move uh, due to a practice time being changed or do a game being changed. You won't know how to modify your program because you don't know your why. Right. So the first year you get a lot of time with me basically going, yeah, that's not right. Take that off your sheet because you don't know why you're doing it. I'd rather have the most simplest dumbed down linear periodization program that you can explain well than something that you don't. And I won't even name the system, right? Because you saw it on social media or you watched a video or you talked to this guy and, and or gal and that's what they did know your stuff first. That's the goal is my first year GA. The second year GA is now how do I groom them to be a full-time assistant? Because after a year of why, 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 now I have to teach you, okay, how do you schedule a room? How do you uh, program interns into play if you so choose to have them? How do you uh, look at budgets and from buying equipment to replacing things that are broken to continuing education. How do you have meetings with administration? Cause you're a GA and you've never had to have those meetings. Right. So now it's getting them ready for that next step. Um, oftentimes I say, you're going to like me now, or you're going to like me later. And what I mean by that is, is we can be great friends now. And really because I'm not getting you out of your comfort zone, you're just going to like me. Right. Like Nick, there's enough things we can do that. You're just going to like me. We're like, Oh, Sylvie's awesome. But if I'm pushing you, there's going to be things that you're like, I don't like him. He said this to me, or he made me do that to get out of my comfort zone. Well, my goal is that you like me in two years because you get to your first job that's full time. And you're like, holy cow, I was ready. I don't want you to call me in two years and go, you did not prepare me for anything. Like, I don't know how to handle interactions with coaches. I don't know how to handle, you know, working with social media that my boss is making me doing. I've never had to order shakes. Like, why didn't you challenge me more? That's my biggest fear is that my GAs aren't ready for the next job. So that's what I try to do. I love that. That's awesome to hear kind of like the structure of everything. Cause I mean, you go through managing them to evaluating them to developing them and you have a structure from year one to year two and kind of like an overarching goal. Like year one is this is why we do it. Year, year two, this is how we do it. And I think that really sets them up for success 
because not only are they getting to do the, all the things and observe you do them, ask questions and kind of make mistakes along the way without it totally affecting the student athletes because they're doing it preemptively, like to actually show you the programs and they're going through it themselves before they actually implement it. So they kind of get to fail before they even get to the athlete. So they fail in the background. And then when they get in front of the athletes, they look like a genius. And that's a perfect approach. And those are a lot of things too, like you talked about in year two, like setting up meetings, speaking with coaches, admin stuff, budgeting, all those things. I think a lot of places, or when you get your first job, if you didn't learn all those things, it's a rude awakening. Like there's a lot of paperwork and busy work and and time at your desk. I think most interns think like when a head coach isn't at his desk, like they're at lunch or something, yeah. or you get to spend all your time coaching because for them, most of the time is coaching just to kind of get them used to it, get on the floor, be familiar with it, clean these things. Like, but you cleaning the floor and cleaning and like being out on the weight room floor, one, you're in people's eye of sight. Two, you're learning how to maintenance products and you're learning how to take care of the things that we have. Three, you can probably like sit there and talk with people that come into the room and have conversations and start things, see how the room is structured. So I think as young coaches, you really don't realize that some of the responsibilities that you think are just passed, like we're passing the buck down the line, but there's actually like lessons involved with it. And it's cool because years progress to year two, where I'm sure they're still doing those things. Everybody should be. But now you're learning the real ins and outs so that when you go and try to get your first job, you already have all the intangible tools. You have everything within your disposal. So that's awesome to hear. Like it's set in place because we know that half your staff gets turned over every two years. So, and, and there's going to be right. Like I'm not a big, internship like direct plan but have the over developing umbrella right because everyone's also going to develop at their own pace like i've had someone who i thought was going to quit at christmas time who graduates and is a really great strength coach a year and a half later and i've had others that in the first semester they just pick it up right like it's natural to them and i'm like okay we can progress this a little bit quicker so it's there's that give and take of it's not just okay this is your first week assignment this is your second week it's Here's what I want to see how you're the one in control of how fast or how slow this process takes, depending on yourself, your personality, your ability to learn, uh, and your willingness to immerse yourself, like I said before, into something bigger than you. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, with our internship program, I think there's a little more structure like week to week because we're, we're going to see them. We're not going to see them as long as a GA where you have two years to kind of know the overarching things that you want to accomplish with an interns. You're just trying to, Hey, this is basically yep. just get in the little snack bites and, and kind of just get immersed with the culture. But with our like coaching assistants, like basically our grad assistants, we know what we want to accomplish. Like we know, like they're going to sit for the CSCCA. Like these are the things that are intangibles need to be done, but we keep it kind of free flowing, like what's happening within the moment because they're in charge of teams. So you learn at your own pace, the same as like we teach the athletes, like your program is going to progress as you earn it. The same with the coaching assistants, like your 
what you're able to do with the athletes, what we teach you, what the next step in the process is, is earned. So if you're not ready for it, just because it's week five, doesn't mean we need to do it. Like you progress at your own pace. And, and that's awesome because I like having multiple GAs where you can lean on each other. You need a peer that's in the same boat as you. And then you've got an assistant on your staff too, that is probably a few years removed from that same role. So there's a trickle down effect of who's kind of influencing the next person to take, be ready for the position that's ahead of them. That's what we aim for. You know, and I think the hard thing that you mentioned it with the turnover of two years is, is finally when you get a GA where you want them to be, they leave. And for me, it's, it's like a smile on your face, pat on your back. I like, can't wait to see what's next. But for that sport coach, they now get a first year GA next. Right. And it's, Every two years you hear the sport coach complain because they just went from someone who is a full-time assistant capabilities to someone who's trying to figure out how to work Excel. Right. So it's, it's a blending in, in the amount of times the head person has to go back and kind of reassure the head sport coach as well, that this is going to work out. I think people often misplace. It's not like you hire someone in your staff. And then just put your hands up and like, they got it. Like, we're good. If, if you want the buy-in to your department to be there, you have to keep cultivating those relationships, even with the people that you don't work with. Exactly. And that's even probably more fuel to your fire when coaches come back and say, I want equipment. It's like, weren't you a few weeks ago complaining that our GA left? It's like, how about we get another full-time assistant so we don't have as much turnover? Exactly. And, and that goes a long ways. No doubt. Hey, so we come to the, the end of the show and like any good training session, uh, we ended off with a good finisher. So we got four quarters, four questions, and uh, probably a little bit of overtime today. So we can go rapid fire or you can take your time with each question, but you ready to hit it? Let's do it. All right. So first one I got for you, biggest influence in strength and conditioning and biggest influence in powerlifting. Uh, biggest influence in strength and conditioning. I'm going Ken Manny. Uh, biggest influence in powerlifting um, has to be to me a combo of, of Louis Simmons and Dave Tate for what they put out there for everyone. All right, I, I like those. What can you be found doing when you're not coaching or competing? What are some of your go-to hobbies? Uh, I love to uh, go out and do some pheasant hunting. Um, not usually a possibility with, with a strength coach hours. Right. Um, but what I've really enjoyed is hanging out with my kids. Um, whether that's playing Legos or old school, super Mario brothers, uh, just, just hanging out with them has become something that's drastically moved up the list. Awesome. And I wonder if you give it any thought, but if you weren't coaching, what do you think you would be doing? And if you could have picked a different sport, Maybe back when uh, power before powerlifting started kicking off, what sport would you have chosen? Okay, uh, the career path first. Um, I really don't know. I've never thought of it, to be completely honest with you. Uh, so I'm going to take the the pass on that one because um, I don't want to think about it. I'm enjoying my life right now. Uh, but the the sport, and I think it's a little bit late. I think MMA is really cool right? The former wrestler and football player of me, like, I think that would be fun. Um, so I guess that would be the route that I'd go with. I like it. I think you're the first one to say that. It's a good one. 
All right. So uh, if you're setting yourself up for an ideal training day, what's your go-to music or PR song? And then what's that post-training meal look like? Who PR song. I, I think uh, <sighs> Cut the Cord by Shinedown. I'll, I'll go with the song. Um, post-meal, it's got to be steak and potatoes. Easy. There you go. All right. Last one I got for you for overtime favorite, either under the bar memory or coaching memory. Um, I think I'll, I'll go a little bit of each. I think the, the under the bar memory was, uh, the, just the first time you ever do something you didn't think you could. Right. And it kind of blends into favorite coaching memory is seeing an athlete do something they never thought they could. And I don't care if that's one chin up or if it's a 350 pound power clean, seeing the look on an athlete and know that you've experienced that feeling is, is the best in the world that I couldn't do this before and I can do it now. That's the same thing. That's awesome. I think that's honestly why most of us got into the profession. Uh, I mean, I like, I like having my own PRs and, and kind of seeing success, but it's tenfold at least when an athlete comes in that doesn't really care for the weight room or has never trained in their, in their life. And they do something that they've never done. Like that's always, that's always my goal, especially with my female teams. Like I want everybody to never have a zero for pull-ups. So, so here's, here's my story for you, Nick. I know we got, we're cutting short on time, but I had a, a women's soccer player. Destiny was her name. She's going to not going to listen to this. So I'm cool. She always said, I can't. No matter what we did, right? If it was something, well, I can't, I can't. And uh, she could, and she ended up doing some great things uh, in soccer and in the weight room. But on her wedding day, I sent her a text, said, hey, congratulations. Just remember, don't say I can't. And she instantly responded. She's like, that's awesome. You know, because the memories that you make with these guys, right? So on her wedding day, we were able to tie it into the weight room. Uh, and she she got married. She didn't say I can't uh, when the, when she was asked to say, I do. So everything went well. That's awesome. That's a great story, coach. Hey, so for anybody that's got any more questions, people want to check out like you, Mary, like you guys, like you said, your YouTube, Twitter, you guys are active on Instagram as well. And then I know you've got your own kind of things going on as well. How can people get a hold of you, follow you or follow up if they have any questions? Yeah, I think uh, from the University of Mary standpoint, at you, Mary, on Instagram and Twitter. At you, Mary Strength, I should say. Uh, YouTube slash Marauder Strength, because we had to be different. Like I said, it was a long time ago we created that one. Uh, personally, at Coach Silby on Twitter. Um, and uh, Black Flag Barbell underscore performance on Instagram. Awesome. Well, Coach, I can't thank you enough for coming on. It's, uh, it's great to talk to a, a fellow small school guy. And uh, – I mean, that's, that's where I got my teeth cut in the profession. I've always got love for it. I think people, people really need to show a little bit more love towards those guys because, honestly, you guys are doing a lot of the work on the front end, and you guys are doing a great job over there. I mean, you've, you've built it up from the top. Uh, I've been watching you for a while, and Philip says only great things. So it's great to have you on the show today and have you share with the audience. So I can't thank you enough for coming on. Thanks for having me, Nick. And I look forward to uh, conversations in the future. For sure, coach. Take care. Thanks. 
That's it for this episode of The Strength Game. Thank you again to this week's guest and to our sponsors, Cerberus Strength. Be sure to connect and keep up with our guests at the links in the description below. Remember to subscribe to us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider to stay up to date on all future episodes. Also, check us out on YouTube and CoachO'Brien.com, where you can find all the video versions of these episodes, as well as show notes, episode schedule, and much more. Comments, ratings, and reviews are always welcome and appreciated. Thanks again for tuning in, and be sure to join us next week for another great episode of The Strength Game.